This is the first Sunday in uh, the season of the church year that we call Lent. What a weird word, isn't it? Lent. Uh, do you know where it comes from? A couple hundred years ago, uh, it was the German word for springtime. And uh, it no longer means that in German, but uh, during that time, the, the church really grasped on to this word called Lent because during springtime is when we begin to prepare our hearts for Holy Week, that week where we celebrate Maundy Thursday when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Good Friday when He died on the cross, and Easter Sunday when He rose from the dead. That week is what the Christian church is really all about. And so it's during springtime, during Lent, when we begin to prepare our hearts uh, for that week. Lent begins with Ash Wednesday, which was just this past Wednesday. So we are now in the season of Lent, which means over the next couple weeks, we're going to be preparing our hearts for Holy Week. And to do so, we're going to be starting this new series called The Ransom. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this, this series is really going to look at all the different aspects of what Jesus gave up to ransom us, to pay the price to save us. And to do so, we're going to be looking through uh, the Gospel of Mark, beginning with Mark chapter 10. And this morning, Mark uh, describes to us what a good leader looks like. And whether or not you realize it, all of you are leaders in some way, shape, or form. Because a leader is someone who, who makes a decision, not just from the, for themselves, but for at least one other person. And that's all of you. All of you are making decisions on a day-to-day basis for you and at least one other person. Now, as you think of being a leader, and you think of being under leadership... We all have different, different definitions of what a leader looks like, don't we? But some of those best leaders are the ones who want to see their company succeed, right? They want to see success, even if it means uh, that they have to sacrifice some of their own wants and desires, some of their time, uh, even if it means they have to give up some control. They want others to succeed around them. A good leader often looks to set up others for success instead of looking to set themselves up for success. Now think about all the leaders you've served under. How many of the leaders, bosses, how many of them have had those qualities? How many of those have you served that are like that? My guess is probably not too many. But the ones that you have had like that, they're probably your favorites. Because they never seem like they're, they're your boss. Rather, they seem like they're serving with you. And sometimes they even seem like they're serving under you. They're never demanding of you. They're never just telling you what to do. And why is it that they, those come so few and far between? Well, it's because usually those who are making it to the top are looking out for one person, themselves. They want the glory. They want the honor. They want the authority. They want to be served. Unfortunately, this isn't just a them problem, right? This is an us problem. We much rather succeed 
then set others up for success. Especially if that other person is someone that we don't really like. This is a problem from all human history. And even the disciples struggled with this. Today we are in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 32. And we are going to see what a leader looks like and what followers look like. And Jesus begins this section, and He begins by focusing on His life's work. Mark chapter 10 begins like this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, He took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to Him. We are in the last couple weeks of Jesus' life. He and His disciples are on their way up to Jerusalem for the very last time, and Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows that when He gets there, He's going to die. And He's told the disciples twice already, What's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem? And yet he wants to tell them a third time. Because he doesn't want them to be shocked. He doesn't want them to be afraid. He wants them to be prepared for what's about to happen. And so he says, time out, guys. Come huddle up. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And he focuses on his life's work. This is what he tells them. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. If they didn't believe that Jesus was God before this, uh, this is a spot-on prophecy of what's about to take place in two weeks. This exact thing. Even the point of spitting on him. Jesus says, this is what's going to happen, guys. This is what I want you to focus on. This is my life's work. And this is what he wants us to focus on as well, because it's by believing in this that heaven is ours. It's by believing in this that salvation is ours. The glories of heaven are ours by simply believing this message, believing that it applies to us. And Jesus says, guys, focus on this. But what were they focused on? Well, let's see. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Uh, It's almost unbelievable. Jesus just poured out his heart and soul. He just poured out everything that is weighing on him. Guys, this is what's about to happen. And James and John can only think about themselves. Their focus is turned inward. I remember right after Ann and I got married, we we were sitting on the couch one night and she was just, uh, something was bothering her and she was pouring out her soul to me about what was on her mind, all the things weighing on her. And uh, I remember as soon as she was done talking, she looked to me for a response and I said, could you pass me my water, please? Now, I've done a lot of dumb things as a husband, um, but that would be right up there. But that's what James and John did, isn't it? Jesus just poured his heart and soul out to them and instead of focusing on what Jesus said, instead of pondering and trying to understand what this is all about, They could only think about what they wanted. 
You can almost hear Jesus' exasperated voice as He says, what is it you want me to do for you? What is it? And here's what James and John wanted. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? What they want? Glory and honor. They wanted authority. They wanted to, to be served and not served. Or and not serve. They knew Jesus' life was coming to an end. He just told them. They knew it was coming to a climax. The story was almost done for Jesus' life. And it was now time to cash in. In fact, they probably felt even a little entitled to this position. After all, they left everything to follow Jesus. Their wife and kids were at home. They left prosperous careers uh, behind. They left their father's business to follow Jesus for three years. It's now time for me. They wanted to go back to their high school reunion and have everyone gush over them. Oh, James and John, you guys really made something of yourselves. Look at the honor and glory you have. Look at the position you have. Man, I didn't think you'd be this far up in the, in the food chain, so to speak, uh, in high school. That's what James and John were doing here. Give me the highest position. And how did Jesus respond? Uh, well, first James and John said, We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. How did the ten respond? They were outraged. But it wasn't because they were so shocked that James and John could ask such a thing at a time like this. They were outraged because they were looking for their opportunity too and they missed it. They didn't ask first. And they were outraged. Look what happens to the body of Christ when we all have a me-first mentality. It just causes arguments. And Jesus says, guys, let's refocus here. Here's what I want you to do. He wants to give up, us to give up seeking glory and simply serve others. That's all He wants. And so He says to them, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. The Gentiles were anyone who weren't from the Jewish uh, nation. So, Unless if you have Jewish heritage in your background, we would be considered Gentiles. And he says, they lorded over people. They tried to gain the high positions and tell people what to do. But not so with Christians. Christians do not do this. This mindset isn't God-pleasing. Stop focusing on yourselves, guys, and focus on others. So what's your motivation for the things that you do? 
What's motivating you? Let me give you an example of how this applies to my life. So as a mission pastor, uh, that's what we call a startup church in our national church body. It's a mission church. And so as a mission pastor, uh, I have a board above me that I have to answer to. And I have to turn in reports and and show them what, what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and things like that. I have to constantly be asking myself, what's my motivation? What's my motivation for doing outreach, for reaching out to the community, knocking on doors? Is it because I want my tallies to go up and the board to say, Stephen, you're, you're doing great. Look at all the great work you're doing. Or is it because I want to reach people and help them focus on the gospel, help them focus on what Jesus has done for them? As I prepare my sermons, what's my motivation? Is it that afterwards, I'm hoping all of you come out and say, Pastor, what a dynamite sermon that was. That really... That really built me up today. Or is it that I just want to simply serve you? I want to uh, articulate the gospel as clearly as possible so that you focus on Jesus and what He's done for you and your faith may be built up. Take your eyes off me and place it on your Savior. So again, what's your motivation? What's your motivation for the way you parent? Is it that you want uh, your kids to grow up and be successful, to, to grow up in Jesus and, and trust in Him? Or are you hoping that others around you say, man, you, you're a really great parent. Your kids are really well behaved. In your marriage, are you serving each other in, in, uh, because you simply want to put the other one first? Or is it that you're constantly keeping a tally, ready to cash in? As you're out in public and and you're being lovey with your spouse, is it because uh, you simply want to love them and serve them? Or is it you're hoping everyone around you says, I want to be like that couple? How about at work? What's your motivation there? Is it that you want to use your gifts to to glorify God and simply serve for, for the good of the company? Or are you hoping to get recognition out of it? How about when that person who gets under your skin a lot, are you looking to make them successful? Or do you keep information to yourself because you rather see them go down in flames and you be exalted? It can even creep into our mindset here at church, right? What's our motivation for serving here at church? Is it because we want recognition at church? Look at all the things I'm doing for church. Or is it simply to free others up so that we can proclaim the gospel? We can view church as some place where it's supposed to serve my family's needs and my needs and not look to serve. And maybe the saddest one of all is it creeps into our relationship with Jesus, doesn't it? We begin to read the Bible as not so much a, how we can focus on Jesus and what He's done for us, but we use it as a self-help book. We quick turn to the verses that we know to make my life better instead of just focusing on Jesus. And sometimes we even become entitled. Jesus, I've served you for so long. I've served you my whole life. I haven't lived my life like other people. I think it's time that you serve me And give me what I want, Jesus. Why am I going through this, Jesus? 
I've paid my time. And Jesus says, Boys and girls, this is not a God-pleasing attitude. Take your eyes off yourself and look to serve. And so what does Jesus do with His disciples and with us? He refocuses them on Himself as the example and the ransom. Jesus says to them, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. What was Jesus' motivation for coming to this earth? What was His motivation? Your needs. He came to this earth to exalt you. To serve you. Jesus came to this earth and He, could have, he deserved all honor and glory. He deserved that every knee should bow before Him and every tongue confess that He is the Lord. And being God, He had the power to make it happen. All He had to do was snap His fingers and everybody would be on their knees confessing that He is Lord. And yet it's like Philippians 2 said, right? Though He is God, He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. And so instead, He took on human flesh. Instead, He took on the humble nature of a servant. Instead of remaining on His throne, He put His crown aside and He became a servant, a slave to all. Instead of uh, exercising His authority and power, He laid that aside and simply served. Uh, Instead of condemning us, He paid the price that you and I deserved. He became completely humble, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. But why? Why did He do it? Because that was your ransom price. To ransom means to pay the price to free a prisoner or a slave at great cost to you. What was that cost? Well, we go full circle, don't we? Jesus said, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles who will mock Him and spit on Him, flog Him and kill Him. Three days later, He will rise. Jesus gave up His position, His crown, to ransom you. Jesus left His throne in heaven. He went to the cross, died on the cross, and rose again to set you free. And that's what we're taking home this morning, isn't it? That's our fourth point here. Jesus gladly gave up His position of glory to pay the ransom price to have you. He, he gladly did this. This wasn't something that He had to do. This wasn't something that he, he was not looking forward to. He did it gladly because He wanted you. Jesus ransomed you. He paid the price to have you. He left His, glo- his glory, His throne. And he paid the price 
Leaders seem like they serve with you. Leaders sometimes even seem like they're serving under you, and that's exactly what your Savior did for you. He came to serve you. What a joy it is to serve a leader like that. Amen. Please stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You for serving our needs, for leaving Your position and putting our needs first and saving us. We ask that uh, You help us to always serve You and others before ourselves. Amen.